Welcome to Learning Objective 20.2. We're going to resolve the tax issues applicable to partnership formations, as well as the acquisition of partnership interests, including gain recognition to both the partners, as well as the tax basis for both the partners and the partnership. Let's now examine what happens when a taxpayer acquires a partnership interest. When a partnership is formed, Partners may transfer cash or other tangible or intangible property as well as services to it in exchange for an equity interest. Now, the right to receive a share in the partnership assets, if the partnership were to liquidate, that's called a capital interest. Contrast that with the right or obligation to receive a share of future profits or future losses. Now, that's called a profits interest. Partners who are contributing services rather than property frequently receive only a profits interest. Let's now examine the implications of contributing property to the partnership. Depending on the transaction, realized gains and losses from the exchange of contributed property for partnership interests are either fully or partially deferred for tax purposes. This is similar to the rationale for permitting tax deferral when corporations are formed under Section 351. And this idea of deferral follows the aggregate theory of partnership taxation. Let's examine the gain and loss that's recognized at the formation of the partnership. Generally, neither partnerships nor partners recognize gain or loss when they contribute property to partnerships. Now, property can include a wide variety of both tangible and intangible assets, but never includes services. The purpose of these non-recognition rules is to facilitate the con contribution of property with built-in gain, but it also discourages the contribution of property with built-in loss. The best way to handle lost property is for the owner to sell at a loss and then contribute the proceeds to the partnership. Let's now examine the determination of a partner's initial tax basis. This is necessary to compute because taxable gains and losses will flow from the disposition of a partnership interest. So a partner's basis in the partnership interest is needed. A partner's initial basis when the partnership doesn't have any debt is straightforward. It represents the sum of the tax basis of property and cash that's been contributed by the partners. In computing the partner's initial basis when the partnership has debt, recognize that each partner must include his or her share of the partnership's debt in calculating the tax basis in his or her partnership interest. The outside basis of the partner contributing property must also reflect the partner's debt relief and any gain recognized from that debt relief. And let's now examine the implications of both recourse and non-recourse debt at the formation of the partnership. A partnership may have recourse debt, that is debts for which the partners have economic risk of loss. And that's usually allocated to the partners who will ultimately be responsible for paying that debt. But a partnership also may have non-recourse debt. This represents debt that if secured by real property, gives the lender the right to obtain the secured property in the event the partnership defaults on the debt. Usually, the loss is going to be allocated according to the partner's profit-sharing 
ratios. Let's now examine the implications of contributing property encumbered by debt. A partner contributing property secured by debt recognizes gain when debt relief exceeds the partner's basis in the partnership interest before debt relief. The contributing partner's holding period in a partnership interest, of course, depends on the type of property contributed. Now, the contributing partner's tax basis and holding period in contributed property carries over to the partnership. And let's illustrate these uh, points with an example. And remember that this question is based on example 20-4 in the textbook. When the CCS partnership was organized early in 2009, Nicole had contributed 10,000 of cash and land with a fair market value of 150,000 and an adjusted basis of 20,000. The land was encumbered by a $40,000 non-recourse mortgage, which had been executed three years before. Recalling that the partnership already had $60,000 in bank debt before Nicole's contribution, we want to know what tax basis do Nicole, Sarah, and Jans initially have in their partnership interests. The basis for the three partners, for Nicole, Sarah, and Chans, will be, respectively, 36,666, 146,666, and 146,666. Now, remember from example 20-3 what the other partners had contributed. Sarah and Chance had each contributed cash of 120,000, so that's what their basis is. And remember, each of them were equal uh, partners, so their share of the recourse bank loan of 60,000 was each 20,000. But remember, with the non-recourse mortgage, when debt is greater than basis, it's going to be allocated only to Nicole, so she gets 20,000. So then the remaining non-recourse mortgage which represents the product of 33 and a third percent times 40,000 less the 20,000 we just described. That is going to be allocated 6,666 each to each of the three partners. And then Nicole will have relief from the mortgage debt in the amount of $40,000. So the each member's initial tax basis will be, again, 36,666, 146,666, and 146,666. Let's now do example two, which is based on example 20-5 in the textbook. Here, let's assume Sarah and Chan's Inc., but not Nicole, personally guarantee all $100,000 of CCS's debt. And we want to know how much gain, if any, would Nicole recognize on her contribution to CCS, and what would be the basis in her CCS interest? Nicole is going to recognize a gain of $10,000, and her basis will be zero. Remember, the basis in the contributed land was $20,000, and she had cash of $10,000. Her share of the debt was zero because Sarah and 
Chan's guaranteed all of CCS's debt. Uh, Nicole was also relieved of $40,000 of the mortgage on the land. The debt relief in excessive basis in the contributed landed cash is negative 10,000. The capital gain recognized then will be 10,000 and Nicole's initial basis in CCS will be zero. That represents the uh, debt relief of 10,000 plus the capital gain recognized of $10,000. At the creation of the partnership, most partners are going to receive a capital interest. The capital interest is valuable because it represents a current economic entitlement that can be measured. Service partners receiving capital interests report ordinary income and the service partner's tax basis in a capital interest will represent the amount of ordinary income he or she recognizes. Contrast that with a profits interest. There's no liquidation value when received and the service partner will not recognize income and non-service partners will not receive deductions. Let's continue on with another example, example three. On December 31st of 09, all members of CCS agreed Sarah would receive an additional capital interest in CCS with the liquidation value of $20,000 and an increase in her profit and loss sharing ratio from 33 and a third percent to 40 percent. And that would leave the other members with a 30% share of profits and losses. And this was done to compensate her for the time she's going to be spending on an additional project for the benefit of CCS. At this point, CCS's debt is now $100,000. And we'd like to know, what are the tax consequences to both Sarah and CCS of giving her an additional capital interest? Here, Sarah will have ordinary income in the amount of $20,000. That's going to reflect the liquidation value of the capital interest. And her ordinary deduction will be zero. But notice that each Nicole and Chan's Inc. split the ordinary deduction of $20,000. That's representing a uh, capital shift from the non-service partners. And finally, let's do example four, which is a variation. Assume Sarah is receiving only a profits interest for her services instead of a capital interest she received in the previous example. And we want to know now, what are the tax consequences not only to Sarah, but to Nicole, Chan's Inc., and CCS? Sarah's not going to be required to recognize any income, and CCS is not going to deduct or capitalize any of the costs. Now, as CCS is generating future profits, Sarah is now going to receive a greater share of the profits than she would have otherwise received. And conversely, the other two members will receive a correspondingly smaller share. In addition, with the increase in Sarah's profit and loss sharing ratios from a third to 40%, the debt allocations among the partners will change to reflect Sarah's additional entitlement. Note that the debt allocations affect each partner's outside basis, that is the basis in their partnership interest. The result is going to be as follows. Sarah's is going to be increased by 
and four dollars, whereas half of that amount, two thousand six hundred sixty-seven, for both Nicole and Chance Inc. will be decreased. Remember, the five thousand three hundred thirty-four is calculated by taking the recourse bank loan of sixty thousand dollars plus the 6.67 increase in the loss and profit sharing ratio, plus the $20,000 non-recourse note not allocated solely to Nicole, multiplied by the 6.67% increase in the profit sharing ratio. If you're having difficulties with this problem, please review the example 20-9 in the textbook which I think gives further background that will be helpful. Let's conclude this section by trying to calculate the tax basis of a partnership interest. We know that the tax basis of a purchased partnership interest equals the purchase price plus partnership debt allocated to the partner, and the holding period will begin on the purchase date. There's also the need to calculate the impact of organizational startup and syndication costs for the benefit of the partnership. But these costs must be capitalized, that is deducted over more than one year, rather than expensed. And they include both the organizational costs, the cost of syndicating the partnership, as well as startup costs. Let me summarize how the partner's outside basis and holding period are determined by the acquisition method. If we have a partner contributing property, the outside basis will equal the basis of contributed property less debt relief plus debt allocated plus gain recognized. The holding period is going to be a function of the asset. If the property contributed is capital or 1231 assets, the holding period includes the holding period of the contributed property. Otherwise, the holding period begins on the date the interest has been received. Contrast that with a purchase, where the outside basis equals cost basis plus debt allocation, and the holding period begins on the date the interest had been purchased. If a partnership interest had been acquired by contributing services, there the outside basis will equal the liquidation value of the capital interest plus debt allocation. And it's going to equal the debt allocation if only a profit's interest has been received. But note, the holding period actually begins on the date the partnership interest is received. There's an excellent summary chart in the text at Exhibit 20-3, which I highly recommend. We're going to conclude learning objective 20-2 with two problems, problems 37 and 40 from the textbook. Let's start with problem 37. Joseph contributed $22,000 in cash and equipment with a tax basis of $5,000 and a fair market value of $11,000 to the Berry Hill Partnership in exchange for a partnership interest. And we have two questions. We want to know what is Joseph's tax basis in that partnership interest and we want to know what the partnership basis is in the equipment received. With regard to A, the answer is $27,000. Joseph's tax basis is considered to be his outside basis in the partnership, and that includes the 
cash of $22,000, as well as the original basis in the equipment, $5,000. Joseph's holding period for his outside basis will depend upon the holding period of the assets contributed. If the property contributed is a capital or 1231 asset, the holding period for that portion of the partnership interest includes the holding period of the contributed property. Otherwise, the holding period of the partnership interest begins on the date it's received. With regard to Part B of our question, the answer is $5,000. The Berryhill partnership's basis in the equipment is going to be a carryover basis from the partner who contributed that equipment. The basis in the equipment plus the basis in the cash is going to give us Barry Hill's partnership's inside basis. The holding period for the equipment will carry over to the partnership from the partner, Joseph. Let's now continue with problem 40 from the textbook. Harry and Sally have formed the Evergreen Partnership by contributing the following assets in exchange for a 50% capital and profits interest in the partnership. Harry's contributed cash of $30,000, so the basis and fair market value are identical, and Harry's contributed land with a basis of $100,000 and a fair market value of $120,000. Sally has contributed equipment to be used in the business with a basis of $200,000 and a fair market value of $150,000. So notice that while both parties have contributed assets summing to the same fair market value of $150,000, Sally has actually contributed a loss asset, whereas Harry's contributed a gain asset. And we're going to see the implications of this in our questions. Question A is going to ask, how much gain or loss will Harry recognize on the contribution? B asks the same question about Sally. We want to know at C, could the transaction have been structured a different way to achieve a better result for Sally? At D, we'd like to know what Harry's tax basis in the partnership interest is. And at E, we'd like to know what Sally's tax basis in her partnership interest will be. F asks us to identify what the partnership's tax basis will be in the assets. Let's now look at the answers. The answer for A will be zero. We know that generally, partners recognize gain on property contributed to a partnership only when they receive cash or have received debt relief that exceeds the basis in the partnership prior to the deemed distribution. Harry did not have any debt relief, nor did Harry receive anything else. So the answer will be zero. How about B? B, the answer will be zero. Partners never recognize loss when properties contributed to a partnership, even when they are relieved of debt. C presents a better alternative for structuring the transaction for Sally. Sally should consider selling the property to the partnership rather than contributing it. By selling the property, she could recognize the $50,000 built-in loss on the equipment. D, the answer is $130,000. Harry's basis in the partnership interest is simply the combined tax basis in the cash and the land he had contributed to the partnership. And the answer to E is $200,000. 
Sally's basis in her partnership interest represents the $200,000 basis in the equipment she's contributed. And then F, the answer is $330,000. The partnership's basis in its assets equals the sum of the partner's bases in the cash, $30,000, and in the land, $100,000, and the equipment, $200,000. This concludes Learning Objective 20-2.